Welcome to the Fulfillment Project Podcast. I'm your host, Simply Sarah, and I'm so glad that we've connected here today. I've created a series called Life Chats. This is a four-part series of each of my amazing guests as I take you on a journey through their awakening process. My aim and goal for this show is to give you, the seeker, a container to explore your own growth as you awaken and step into more alignment, more joy, and more fulfillment every single day. Welcome back to the Fulfillment Project podcast. We are on our Life Chat series, and we have a beginning of a new four-part series with my beautiful friend, Alejandra. Welcome. Hi, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Your name is so beautiful, and it rolls off your tongue so wonderful. So please introduce your full self to us. (laughs) Sure. My name is Alejandra Diaz Mercado Chavez. Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> Love it. We have an interesting story to tell. You know, I've, I've been really enjoying this life chat series and getting so many amazing women in my life unpack their journeys of growth and, you know, the struggles that they've had and the person they've decided to be and pull themselves through that. And your story goes back to when you were very young and you've always felt different and you've always been a highly sensitive being. And I think this, this conversation over these next four parts will be really valuable to any women who have felt like they've been alone, have felt like they've had gifts, have felt like they've been extra sensitive. Maybe they've suppressed them until recently. Maybe they've always been there and haven't felt like they had the support for it. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and showing up in this conversation. Oh, I'm very, very excited to share. And I hope my story brings inspiration for women stepping into fully their gifts, Be whether it's an empath gift, whether it's... Uh, stuff that happens in the dream world. So I hope to be of much help. Yes. I like to think about you as my my far out there friend. And I know we <laughs> joke, you're like, I'm your alien friend and I'm an alien girl. <laughs> yes. Woo. <laughs> so t- take us back because I know you said you felt like you've been very different since a young age. And so what was that age time frame or that moment where you recognize that like, oh, like not everybody is like me or thinks like me? Well, there is that part of my childhood where I remember a lot of my friends thinking like me, we lived in the fantasy world. So whether it was in recess at school or when we would get together after school, um, aliens, dragons, knights, princesses, that, that was part of the play. And that was probably before the age of seven. Now, between the age of seven, nine, ten, there started being a change in change as where I continued reading the fantasy books and and watching the fantasy movies. I know I'm a big fan of the labyrinth, uh, David Bowie. Right. And uh, and that I continued with that. And I I had two very close best friends, uh, two girls, and they started focusing more on like uh, doing their hair, their makeup, how they dress, talking about boys. And that I didn't really feel interested in that. I started doing it because there was a part of me that really wanted to fit in and and be liked and not be left, you know, in the corner of the room. Uh, And so I started playing those games, but I would go home and I would be like, I'm so done. 
and I grabbed my fantasy book or I started uh, imagining things in my mind, drawing. And so that was the beginning of me realizing that I didn't want to fully play in the human world. And I still needed that planet or that that cave, that space where I could go and, and swim in fantasy. Mm-hmm. That's how it started. Yes. I love what you said there, you know, before the age of seven and then that time period after the age of seven. And you're an NLP master practitioner. You are along the ride for the upgrade program, bringing your value to support everyone who's ready for that upgrade in their life. And with understanding really what happens from the mind perspective around the age of seven or nine, I'd love for you just to unpack a little bit about how that that conscious mind, you know, becomes uh, formed, what the role of the subconscious mind is, and really that that turning point in a child's life? Oh, sure. That's such a fascinating topic. I mean, if you think about it, we come into this world and at some moment, the consciousness enters the body, which is the vessel. And, And, you know, everybody can relate to this, whether they remember their childhood or they have kids around them noticing that uh, whatever you tell a child, they'll believe it. And here's an example. I'm going to give you an example and then tie it in how, how the mind, what happens around the age of seven. I remember I used to like to put a lot of salt on, on my food. And when I would go to my grandparents' place on Sundays and we would have food together, my, my grandfather uh, caught me putting a crazy amount of salt in my food. And he told me, if you put that much salt, your hands are gonna go like this and they're gonna turn into hooves and you're gonna grow hair like like a goat. And I believe that. It was so real. I mean, when he was telling me that I start, I think in pictures, that's how my mind feeds me the information. And I, I saw my hands going like this and the hair, it was white, it was growing. And I was like, Bang. I'm like, no, I definitely, you don't want to grow hoops. So I stopped eating salt and I must have been five or six. So anybody can relate, right? And it's very magical to interact with a kid, especially as an adult and see just all the possibilities and all the magic that's available. Yes. Now, um, sometime around the age of seven on a normally developed, uh, developing person, a part of our minds, a part of your mind, a part of your mind cared to fit in the society we're growing. And that caring develops in a filter, uh, which is called, um, in NLP, they call it the critical faculty, critical thinking. And it is the ability of the mind to say, this is fantasy and this is reality. Um, Could be an ability, could be a mapping system. And so that's created around the age of seven. And now depending on a person's uh, life experiences and even the job, the job a person chooses, like a police officer, would have to have a very thick critical faculty um, to categorize, right? Like in the line of duty that they have. And someone like, um, let's say, uh, an artist or an author would have a very thin critical faculty, meaning they still have to access those places in their mind where anything is possible to pull down the information. So that happens around the age of seven. Yes, uh, on a normally, uh, and what I mean normal means um, just a a normal way of growing up without interferences from shocking experiences. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. 
Uh, you're absolutely right there, what you said about children. You look at the magic of children. You even think back to ourselves. It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be like an astronaut and a pilot and this and that. And there's so much possibility. And then, you know, people say you, you start to grow up or you start to get serious and this, this critical factor comes in. So do you believe that this critical factor also has a play with uh, dimming our natural gifts or spiritual, um, yeah, spiritual gifts? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I, I've always had this sense of there's something and I feel it like in my skin, I see flashes in, in what I call a back screen. Um, but I've heard of people that, let's say, talk to people that are not there, <laughs> talk to dead people or hear things. And so imagine if if there is a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old and, and the parents have the focus and, and they want the kid to do really good at school and and um you know that young child comes and tells the parents yeah that but i can't sleep at night because i'm hearing something and then the parents says no just go to sleep like what are you why are you making these things up and again this is an age where uh in growing up we care to fit in uh, adults become our role models they our parents become our heroes in a way our teachers right the guides because they're telling us um how to grow up and, and again, I remember being a child and thinking that the, the best thing I could happen to me was to have a job and make money. Right. Now, I, now I think very differently. But so again, I was looking at my role models to tell me how to behave, how to talk, how to dress, how to sit. And, and I mean, from there, we can talk a lot about distortions that could happen, right? Like, I mean, um, um, to share with you, I'm a Mexican, I'm a woman. And so if, if there had been a distortion, let's say there was a lot of influence from the North American culture, but also a lot of, um, yeah, like it was just been a tricky relationship between the United States and Mexico, to put it that way, mm -hmm. and being a woman too, um, there could have been distortions in, in what these adults were telling me. And that could have affected how much I, I wanted to interact with the society or stay in my dream world. And again, I'm relaying it from my personal history and how I reacted. Yeah. And so with being so sensitive and not really closing off, you know, this sensitivity or these gifts or this, you know, natural, you know, um, natural unfolding of really wanting to like feel yourself and stay true to yourself and not close that off and not get so conditioned. We're, we're all a little conditioned from society, but yeah. what was that like growing up and going through uh, teenage years and into your twenties and, and still being so sensitive and open? Um, I have to bring something up before the teenage years because it just came to me and I didn't realize what was happening until now that I can look back at it. Um, uh, again, very young, let's say up to the age of 10, and, you know, uh, if I happen, I don't remember if I happen to be a cute little kid, five years old, six years old, uh, and adults uh, want to pick up the kids and hug them and kiss them, especially in Mexico. It's a very touchy, huggy culture. And I remember crying all the time. I didn't want to be picked up. It felt so uncomfortable. I, it really made me feel like uncomfortable, almost like sick. It's weird. Like a and, violation? Um. I, it's interesting, you know, and in a few instances, it felt like that, but for the most part, it was just like very uncomfortable. Like I felt like I was being compressed in a way. And, and I remember adults, Mexican adults don't react good like that. Like, oh, you're such a, a spoiled brat. Why don't you let me hug you? <laughs> that was their reaction. And my parents are like, why are you like that? 
You know, why don't you let yourself be hugged by your aunts, your uncles? Why don't you say hi to people with a kiss? And they wouldn't, it's almost like, yeah, you're a Mexican. You're expected to do that, right? And I'm like, yeah, no, as a kid. So that didn't feel good. Then when I started uh, in my early teens, uh, around 13, 14, I remember sitting at recess with my lunch and and I was, uh, there were my two uh, girlfriends and me. So we were the three of us were the most popular girls in school. I would say they were number one, two, and I was number three because I've always been a little weird. <laughs> so I remember even with that experience uh, of like, you know, being liked by others, I would grab my sandwich, sit in a corner in the recess space we had and looked at all my friends going around about their their own dramas, the normal dramas for a 12 or 13 year old, right? It was either playing basketball or gossiping over here or, or starting to hold hands, you know, the dating aspect and me sitting back and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. What are they doing? Why can't I have a conversation with someone about things that matter? Now, I don't remember what are those things that I wanted to talk about, but I remember that that's the feeling that I had. Uh, yeah. And then later, you know what, as a teenager, I started caring about boys. I, there was this part of me looking for my other half, of course, that woke up and looking for my other half is how I was introduced to it. I mean, we've had conversations about twin flames and soulmates, and this came later into my life. But I remember just this quest, this need to find him and, and, uh, you know, no, I remember having a lot of platonic interests and, and being very awkward. And at some point I turned very awkward turning to guys because beforehand I was, um, I had an easier time making friends with, with the boys. And uh, then that, that was part of it. I mean, my sensibility turned into awkwardness <laughs> and platonic um, platonic loves with, with even fictional characters. Like how crazy is that? <laughs> that would fulfill me, you know, as a teenager. <laughs> did you have anybody in your life um, supporting this? You know, your parents, did you talk about spirituality? Did you have an aunt that introduced you to anything? Like, were there any um, positive influences for your gifts or sensitivity growing up? Uh, there was an aunt. She lived in a different state, so we visited her very little. And she felt to me like uh, spiritual, peaceful, like I could talk to her and she would, there was this caring to listen to me. And she had some of her unique stories to share, um, but there wasn't any guidance. There was, I didn't find she could give me answers to some of the stuff I was experiencing around those times. And so I guess this is important to tell you what are some of those things <laughs> now, right? If no, we're going to be talking about it abstractly. Yes. So let's, let's, uh, I'll move that into that in a second. Yeah. I, from my parents, I mean, I was brought up Catholic and the reason I didn't do my first communion was because at that time my grandfather passed. So I was ready to do my first communion. My grandfather passed and I started questioning some of the things that were being taught, like, for example, the concept of being born with a sin, the original sin. I remember asking my parents, what sin? What have I done? Like, how can I be considered sinful? And I didn't like that relationship. And I, no one could explain it to me. 
or or in a way that it would make me feel like you know I'm a soul a bright soul here and it's important that I'm alive you know anytime someone tried to explain the original scene I'm like you're not making me feel good about coming <laughs> right there's a lot of yeah. fear fear-based teachings and fear-based languages um within a lot of the religions uh which which I've noticed which is why I've never felt drawn towards uh any one religion or or that type of um, faith and teachings. Absolutely. And you know what, uh, where I grew up and the time that I grew up, Mexico City, very conservative, very Catholic, uh, the sexual aspect of growing up, I I feel that that's probably one of, not a regret, but something I wish would have done differently. Everything else is fine. And I'll, I'll I appreciate that I grew up, uh, let's call it, I don't know if indoctrinated is the right way, because that's a very strong word. I appreciate my upbringing because it gave me contrast and it gave me, gave me the ability to know what growing up like that feels like the reason, because I can see their reason from, from the powers that be, or even my parents, right. To have me grow up with values, with structure and not be what they consider a crazy child experiencing the world. So in a way that kept me safe as well, and I appreciate that it gave me discernment. If I didn't have those uh, that upbringing experience, I could not have discernment right now or talk to someone and, and relate in that manner of having brought up in the box. But I would say the the sexual aspect of like you know sexuality is an innate part of the body, the beingness, and um, I've, I've had to learn that later on in my years as an adult. Yes. And, and break some paradigms around that as well. Mm-hmm. So you didn't do your first communion? No, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't go through with it. By that time, I was questioning things too much. And again, so let's talk about some of the experiences yes, I started. Yes, I was having yes. um, I, the, dreams, dreams. Um, and again, this is where I couldn't relate to the information that was being fed to me. Uh, if I dreamed someone died, it was within a month that I would come to learn of someone, someone's passing. Mm. And the dream was very literal. Yeah. And so often when I try to share that with others, they would say, oh no, if, if someone dies, it means someone's going to get married. I'm like, no, (laughs) there's this example, this example, this example. Right. And I had a, a cluster of time in my life where that was happening and I would have the dream and I would wake up and I'm like, oh, shit. And then I didn't want to tell anybody because, you know, um, my parents noticed that there was a, a real a, like a pattern, like I would dream that and then something would happen. But whenever I told them, I would see the look on their face, worry, concern. And, you know, up to this date, whenever I have like a sort of like a premonition or a dream, I wonder if it happens because I've dreamed it. Or I just tapped into something that's about to happen. And I wonder if there's something I can do. But the answer, I think it's just information. So it's it's just troubling. It's kind of tricky, right? And did you so- feel did you feel confident in your yourself and maybe the the things that you were sensing or seeing? Or did you feel like you were confused because you know parents and, and people around you didn't really understand it and didn't really want to go into it with you? Oh, great question. I have to say that up until 2016, 17, it's been 50-50. Like I give myself the benefit of the doubt that I'm making shit up or that I'm imagining things or that it's wishful thinking that I actually have abilities. 
uh, yes, so it's been 50-50. And then, um, I mean, after uh, 2017, synchronicities. So a synchronicity is a series of coincidences connected back to back to back to back that happens. I started logging 25 during a day and I'm like, I'm not making this up. There's 25 things that happen back to back to back from me dreaming and let's say about turtles. <laughs> and then I would turn on the TV and the first thing I see is a turtle when I never see a turtle. And then going out on the road and seeing a truck with a turtle on the, you know, painting at the logo, like things like that. That's an example. Uh, and that's when I'm like, yeah, there's something else here and I can choose to be open and stop second guessing myself or I can choose to keep going 50-50 with my life. There was um, a level of surrendering at that moment when that started happening. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and I know the last few years have been like on a rocket ship of uh, growth and sensitive, more sensitivity and, and more synchronicities. So I'm excited to unpack all of that as we get through uh, the episodes. What were some other things that were coming up that you, you know, you mentioned dreams. What were some other things that you were recognizing? My, when my grandmother from my father's side passed away, that night she visited in a dream. <laughs> was it a dream? <laughs> it, it just, those visits, the ones that are not dreams, that are the ones that I am, I'm still give myself the benefit of the doubt. 90% sure they're not dreams, but 90% is quite intense. They feel different. There is this awakeness I feel around my, my eyes, a vibration throughout my body, like it's tingling almost. And it's just, I am aware that I am aware in the dream. And that's different than dreaming. So I am aware that I'm aware. My grandma was there and she was talking to me. And I was at her home and she said, um, she was there. And my grandfather was there who had passed uh, various years earlier. And he said to me, what are you doing here? You're not, I know, I'm not supposed to see you yet. <laughs> I said, what are you doing here? <laughs> And he said, I'm just looking out for grandma. And I'm like, okay, thank you. That's really good to know. And we hugged each other. And at that moment I woke up. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so those are really nice. I mean, there was this instance when I dreamed, uh, we had a, a dog, an Akita dog, Akita. So it's a big one, uh, very, a little savage, that dog. Um, but I dreamed that she escaped uh, that the, the gate from the house was open and that she escaped. And it was very troubling to dream it. I dreamt dream that I woke up and I told my dad, hey, dad, I dreamt that our dog Oyuki escaped. And he went like, oh, it's just a dream. Like, you know, calm down, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. At 12 o'clock, around 12 o'clock, the dog escaped and it was my dad's fault. Mm. And uh, well, that's a strong world. Um, my dad left the gate open, so I don't blame him for that. It's just, that's what happened. Um, so I do want to regress back and say it was his fault. I don't blame him. No, uh, the dog escaped because the day, the day, the gate was left a little bit open and we never found that dog. And that was a lot of source of, uh, a lot of pain with the family. Yeah. Like the first big loss of our little family. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, but I mean, like I started learning just when I say something, let's say when I have a sense of something or a dream or I'm in someone's house and I can feel that's something else that happens too. I can feel there is like, like someone standing there and I can, it feels to me, male, female, young, old energy, light, or very intense. 
and I'm in someone's house and I, I always think, hmm, I wonder if it's the right thing to say something because I don't know how this energy is connected to the person. And by unlocking that conversation, you know, things come up, things come up, right? Um, for a person, sometimes it's an unresolved personal conflict and emotion uh, or even experiences they are having in their house with that energy. So it's, it's um, I mean, I have to honor that. That moment where I ask myself if it's the right time to say something or not, as a kid and as a teenager, I didn't have that filter. This is more me embracing what's happening and, and being an empath. Like as much as that energy is present and important, the energy of someone I talk to is present and very important. So it, it's all factors taken into account. Yes. I love the topic of uh, ghosts or spirits or guides, you know, these different energies. I want to unpack that in episode two. Uh, I think a lot of women will uh, love this as well, especially as myself. I don't know. I've, I have felt um, spirit. I've, I've felt ghosts before and even like seen an image of what I'm sensing, but when it comes to guides, um, angels, I don't have experience with that. And I have girlfriends like yourself who do. So I want, I want to dive into that conversation to help people understand more or maybe lean into those energies. So episode two, we will come back for that. You've, you've described yourself as a, um, a lonely traveler. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? It means that for most part of my life, I felt like I was alone. I felt like no one could answer my questions. So instead of, let's say, at an early age, shutting down my gift, because I could have gone that route, right? Say, nope, the only thing I care is following the rules and, and looking like everybody else who I am liked. Uh, so the, it's, it's worth mentioning that there is a part of me that strongly did that. I worked, I've worked really hard to get the best grades, fit into society, learn how to talk, learn how to um, um, yeah, be a functioning grown person doing a nine to five job. Oh yes, I worked really hard to be that. And, uh, but my other part was like, screw it. If nobody knows what's going on or believes me, I'm gonna do my own quest to find answers. So I've been a lonely traveler when it comes to that. So at a very young age, nine, 10, I started getting interest. It started with interest in, in weekend, like witchcraft, magic, occultism. So occultism is the study of dark arts, to put it that way. But dark or obscure simply means it's not in the light, like the light of the normal stuff. Like you study math, you study uh, history, right? That's in the light. This stuff is just in the darkness because no one is talking about it. If people were talking about it, it wouldn't be in the darkness, it would be in the light. Mm -hmm. And so I bought a lot of books of many different kinds. And, and through, so again, witches, spirits, aliens, and even religions, all of the religions. Uh, so I would dive into the book or the study of a certain discipline and a certain religion. And I would make myself embrace it like it was the only truth. Because I really wanted to understand what they were talking about. And I wanted to understand how deep or how magical, how true, how real, how profound. So these are some of my, let's say, um, my rules of the game uh, to go through my quests. And so I, uh, yes, throughout my teenage years, and even in the history, when whenever the history teacher would 
mention a a, per, uh, a person, um, a, a character in history that seemed even a little bit mystical, I would go and look that person up. Yeah, and learn about them. Is there's all the other information they don't teach you at school, right? Yes. So uh, yeah, as a lonely traveler, again, very few people would talk about these things. Uh, I did come across a couple of my friends in school, in high school, especially that did tarot, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> or did uh, the astrology charts. But I remember the feeling of talking to them. And this is where I can relate to a lot of people that talk to me. When I would talk to these people, I would think they knew more than me or they could read something about me that I didn't know. So that felt kind of scary. And I wanted to keep a distance from that. <laughs> See, even me, with having those experiences, I would meet someone else with um, whose gift I wouldn't understand. And I would be like, oh, no, it makes me feel anxious. Uh, what are they going to see that I don't know? It's not what are they going to see that I know that I don't want to accept? No, that wasn't the case. It's what are they going to see that I don't know that it's going to come like a shock to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would keep a distance and I would think it's like, it was so magical. Like I wouldn't understand. And I wouldn't even dare to ask, Hey, can you explain to me what's going through your head or through your heart? Which is now a question that I've learned to, to do and teach my clients as well. Um, what is going through your head and through your mind when you're doing, doing your tarot reading? What state do you put yourself in before? That sort of thing, right? To, to take away the mysticism and be like, I am here with another soul experiencing an ice ride um so the lonely traveler theme was as much because i couldn't find someone else out there that would relate as me putting up a barrier how crazy is that i didn't realize that until now that we're talking about this i had a barrier towards the world too yeah yeah, that's cool. A lot of like revelations have come out of like the past episodes on this as well. Cause it's interesting when we go back and talk about our growth or the the view of the view of reality at that time. Like what lens were you looking out at the world at? Uh and then talking about it now, you're like, wow, that's really what I uh what I was holding back. Yeah, I was doing it too. Yes, yes. So, so where where do you feel most at, at home then? <sighs> what, what what makes you feel most at home? Ah, you know, the the first answer I wanted to give you is in me, with me. How crazy is that? Mm. (laughs) Now, if I was to regress back a couple of years, uh, I would say in Burlington, right here where I live. And it is a sensation because I arrived here and and uh, we bought this house, me and Omar, in 2014. And I remember the moment I arrived, something in my heart felt like it expanded it opened there was this string of light something and for six months I was in like a honeymoon period with my home with Burlington I was I remember driving to work at 6 a.m at not 5 30 a.m in the morning which is not good for me I don't I don't enjoy that but I was so in love in love that's that's a good way to put it with this area uh, it felt my my heart kept singing at home and I had this surge of energy for six months. Again, like I said, 5.30 a.m. in the morning, wide awake, singing my lungs out and then on the drive back to and discovering, walking through the area, honeymoon period. Like how you feel when you first fall in love with someone. That was me when I found Burlington. So I, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, why do you, why do you think that is? Has there been like a cascade of events that has like 
led you to like a really blissful place or was it just a new environment? Like, what do you, what do you think it was? Looping back to Lonely Traveler, when I was a kid around nine, eight, age nine, 12, there were two certainties. I, I just knew it. It was inside of me. One of them was that I was going to eventually leave, live, leave Mexico up north. That's what it sounds. I didn't know if it was the States or Canada. And the other one was that I was not going to have children. And I, and I, you know, I would tell my mom this poor mom. I, I, you know what? Sometimes I would throw the weirdest phrases at her. So a nine-year-old saying, I'm never going to have kids. And my mom being like, you'll see when you grow, you'll see when you grow up. And I'm like, I know. How could you know? She was like frustrated because me and my brother would have just misbehaved. She was trying to scold us and make us see sense of what we had done. And me saying, I'm never having kids (laughs) with a smile on my face. (laughs) Yes. Poor mom. Poor mom. Poor, Poor mom. You know what? Another time I told her, and again, under the age of 10, I remember I was walking. She was holding my hand out of nowhere. I look up to my mom and I said, mom, if I die, I do not want you to cry for me. Oh my goodness. At that moment, my mom started crying. Oh. I got really upset. I said, why are you crying? I told you, this is not supposed to be a sad thing. <laughs> Imagine that, right? right? Now, where I was coming was from the realization that there is something or the feeling, personal belief. Yes, again, I respect that there are other belief systems and and people can relate to this topic very differently. So I highly respect that. And I'm relating this from my experience. I had this sense that there is so much more than what we can see. And there has been before we were here and after. And so in that moment, I was inspired to tell it to my mom. But I just, I was a kid. I didn't know what the right way to say it was. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, so those those reactions also would make me step back from sharing and made me step more into the role of lonely traveler, lonely quest for meaning, for answers. Yeah. So it was tough. Again, as an empath and again, empath, just the moment uh, it, it can be a place or a person being in their proximity, sometimes even thinking about them, there is a wave of, of energy, heaviness, of, of uplifting energy or nausea that hits me. It was very uncomfortable for me to be present to someone's emotion and and the impact that had on my physical or emotional body. Uh, And again, at a younger age where I did not have any tools to create boundaries around me or being able to navigate those experiences. So it made me starting to close off a little bit more. So maybe defense mechanism. Yeah, that sounds like it. Highly sensitive. It all comes down to being sensitive to energies. Yeah. Types of energies. Yeah. I think this is, I have one more question for you, but I think it's a great opportunity to wrap up this part one. Um, cause in part two, let's talk about different energies. Let's talk about how to protect your energies. Let's talk about intuition guides, um, spirits, uh, and helping people navigate that a little bit. My last question is if there's a, um, a parent listening here and maybe they recognize that they have a, a child who is, is a little different or gifted or has said things or, you know, you can sense that magic in them that they want to nurture. What are some tips or helps or advice for parents or some things that maybe you wish you had or some support that would have been valuable for you? Oh, absolutely. What a great opportunity. And I am going to give my answer just if for a moment I can travel back 
to my teenage, to my, uh, you know, seven, nine, 10 years. And, and I, I see myself sitting as a little girl in the kitchen, um, having these things happen to me. Uh, the moment I voiced something to my mom or my dad, it would have been very helpful if at that moment they said, oh, interesting. Tell me a bit more about that. And asking me questions, uh, maybe just if I had just said, oh, I saw my, my granddad last night in a dream. Um, if they don't know what questions to ask, they could have said, oh, your grandfather or your granddad. So simply by repeating the last word I had just said, that would prompt me to continue relaying information and they can keep going on like that. It's a very uh, interesting technique called the psychiatrist trick. Mm -hmm. So all you do is you repeat the last meaningful word the person said, right? And then closing a conversation, perhaps after I had shared the information by saying, uh, if my mom or my dad would have said this to me, it would have been very helpful. Um, listen, I can't fully grasp or understand what is it that you're experiencing, but I'm here for you. So anytime you want to talk to me about it, again, I might not be able to, to give you more information because you're leading the way here, perhaps but I would love to listen to you. Yes, that would oh, have felt really nice. Yeah. yeah, that's perfect. And I'm, I'm sure that could be of a lot of help right now. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's very simple. Allow the kid to know that it's safe to share, mm -hmm. um, but it's like, you don't have to have an answer for them. Just ask more questions. Just seem intrigued. Don't, because sometimes I, I know a parent might be scared or they don't know what to say or they don't understand it. So they almost invalidate what the, what the kid is feeling or what the kid is seeing. Well, yeah, because the parent is scared of not being able to be a strong guide or a strong lead, and they're in unfamiliar territory. But I can tell you, and even up to now, sometimes all I want is to talk about the experience. I'm not looking for, for answers or guidance. I'm simply looking for a moment to connect with another person, even with my parents. Now we've reconnected, and I tell them, all I'm looking for is to tell you this story and have some fun while I'm telling the story. That's all. That's all. I just need to be heard. That's all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Alex. We will be back for part two. Thank you. I'm very excited. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me on this episode today. My website, simplysara.com, is a great place for me to continue to support you on your journey to alignment, joy, and fulfillment. There you will find upcoming retreats that I am hosting, resources, books, and many other helpful tools to help you on your travels through this thing called life.